0: hello is, is this thing on are, yeah it's the, yeah
1: it's on I'm are you here are you there Bob Bob Blankel, is that you I am here it's been a while mr. San Filippo what's going on oh, wait, wait where, where are we <laughs> are we doing are, are we over in Balla Kimwood no, no we're definitely not there no definitely not we're definitely uh, not there
0: uh, no, it, But you know what oh wait it's late at night so this, this only means one thing. It's time for a new episode of Crossed Up because it's so late at night. That's I don't talk to you at this hour unless we're recording Crossed Up.
1: Oh, I would I would certainly hope not, frankly. <laughs> 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 so here we are after what what's it been like did we have we done any of these over the winter Did we, no, we did, did we one in, yeah okay we did one all right we, we so. did do
0: one after after the after the show got booted off of the radio in place of crossing broadcast Um we did do one it was kind of just after the girardi hire kind of thing and right. you know, we, we did one of those um but that's it <laughs>
1: Well, so here we are. We're we're pressing the eleven o'clock hour as we get started here. Uh, I have the TV on in the background. I'm sitting at my kitchen table, my new kitchen table though. This time I've upgraded a little bit, but nice. it, it wouldn't be an episode of Crossed Up if we weren't probably going to approach and possibly cross over the midnight hour. So we're here. The 2020 season is almost upon us. One month to go until opening yeah, day. That's right. One month from today. Very, very exciting stuff, maybe, for the 2020 (laughs) Phillies lies ahead. We'll get to that in a minute. But, Anthony, I got to say, like, I mean, Joe Girardi was hired. We talked about, uh, you know, this team and where it kind of stood. And I know that the last time that we spoke, each of us had some reservations about what this team um, looked like heading into this season. And I don't know if if any of those things have uh, changed. You know, we have not spoken prior to this show about what has happened here at the start of spring training. And so it should be really interesting to kind of kind of reconvene and sort of assess where each of us is at and, and what we've seen so far with the Phillies since they've been in Clearwater. So uh, here's where I'm starting, and, and I just I, I want to just kind of get into this because it's something that I actually talked about with Russ Joy last week on Crossing Broadcast when both you and Kevin were out. But, you know, last season, after a six- or seven-year hiatus of, of meaningful baseball and baseball that you thought you could get excited about in this town it was finally back the Phillies go out they sign Bryce Harper everybody is, is to the moon over it and that first series against the Braves it feels like it was it actually feels like it was six or seven years ago right you know you thought like this team was going to play meaningful baseball late into the season play in October and then it all came crashing down again and Gabe Kapler's not here any longer, and his coaching staff, a lot of it, is is not here any longer. You fast forward one year, though, and it just doesn't, even with the hiring of Joe Girardi, and I think a lot of people in this city are bullish on Joe Girardi, but it just doesn't feel to me like that there is a ton of anticipation and, I guess, optimism for this team. And so I have to ask you, not only where are you at, but why do you think that, that this fan base is a little bit more reluctant to embrace the Phillies this time around? Okay,
0: I'm going to answer the second part first, and then I'll tell you where I'm at. So I think that the, the, I think you're spot on in identifying that the fan base is reluctant to get on board with this Phillies team. And I think that the reason is is that they kind of feel a little spurned by what happened the last two years we go back to 18 and they got off to such a great start and they were good into July and in first place in the division and we were thinking wow this team's arriving maybe a little earlier than we all thought and holy cow that's kind of cool and people were starting to pay attention a little bit and then of course they had their september swoon and fell out of out of contention and then of course they spend stupid money last Last off then you mentioned the Harper thing, but it wasn't just Harper. I mean, you brought in McCutcheon, you know, and they brought in Segura, um, you know, and they, they, JT Real JT Muto, Real Muto. Yes, and, and yeah, I mean, it was like this is this is going to be it, and we had that first series, and everything was awesome. The offense was unstoppable, and then of course it fell apart, and you know maybe a little bit sooner it started to fall apart, and then of course there was another September swoon that really kind of knocked them out.
1: So, do you think it's just as simple as the, the the fan base? And 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 don't get me wrong. Listen, March is almost here. There's always that that sense of anticipation that just comes with the baseball season hope springs the, eternal man sure you know the warmer weather the green yeah. grass you know, the crack of the bat all that stuff and i get that i mean certainly if you're listening to this podcast you have a little bit of optimism regarding the phillies coming into this season or you you wouldn't dedicate your time to to, to listen to two guys talk about them but that being said it just i don't get the sense that that same oomph is quite there right now yeah
0: and it's be, i think it's i think it's a show me season I think it's one of those deals. I think it's like you, you kind of rooked us in a little bit last year with the whole Harper thing and and all the signings, and you, you came up small. Now I'm not going to I'm not willing to jump in blindly. You have to prove it first, and then if you prove it, then I'll get on board again. I think that's kind of where it's at. You know, Russ and I see it, saw it all season, and are still seeing it with the Flyers. And you know, they're having a great year, and yet the last game we were at, there were you know a couple thousand empty seats still in the building. So you know, even though as well as they're playing, only one point out of second place, you know, fans are still kind of like, yeah, show me in the playoffs, you know. And I think that that's kind of what the, the Phillies got to get there. I think that the Phillies got to get to that playoff spot, um, or, or really be in the thick of the pen and chase. Um, later is, in the is season, is there
1: is there any one thing if you if you had to point to one component of this roster that just makes you say, I have my reservations, and I know there may be a few, but if uh, just to ask you to <laughs> isolate in on one thing that you can't get over, get over, you know, because frankly, I I have something, and and it's the thing that every time I try to you know look at this through a positive lens. I just keep coming back to it. It's like a it's like a roadblock for me. So I'm kind of curious to hear what yours might be first.
0: Oh well, it's the bullpen. <laughs> That's for me. I mean, p- pitching in general. I mean, if you want to be real specific, I go to the bullpen. But pitching in general is a concern for me. Yeah, they added Zach Wheeler, and I think Wheeler's fine. Um, I don't think he's as Good as his contract is is, but I get you have to overpay sometimes in free agency. Do, do you I think, think it could be a rare occurrence
1: with Zach Wheeler? And I'm, you know, I, I was going to wait to talk about him a little bit, but you brought him up, so like let's just get into it. Do do you think that there is a possibility that we have not yet seen the best of Zach Wheeler when you look at the stuff and how it's disproportionate to the K per nine? And do you think that there's room for growth? Does Brian Price maybe unleash something in him? I mean, he really was good the second half of both 18 and 19. Can, Can he put together maybe that full run? and and maybe turn the corner a little bit.
0: Yeah, so I, you know, one of the things and I was going to get to this, I, that I am that, that gives me a little bit of optimism for the Phillies this year is I like the the changes at pitching and hitting coach with with Brian Price and Joe Dillon. I think these guys have a little bit more of a hybrid approach blending, you know, the old school mentality with, you know, new school analytics and I think that I think that's where you need to be. Um, in today's game, I think you have to, you, you know, you have to approach pitching and approach hitting um, in, in that, you know, middle ground. I, you can't be one one, you know, stubborn and old and you can't be, you know, blinded by analytics either. So I think you have to be right there in the middle. So I think that there is, a, you know, some hope there for the with those guys. And so with that said, somebody like Zach Wheeler, maybe he does, you know, find that next step with Price's guidance. Um, my concern with wheeler is he's you know he' struggled to stay healthy in his career and and so that that's where i get a little bit concerned but other than that look i think he's a fine addition i, I don't think he's a difference maker but right now is you know is zach wheeler in the rotation better than the rotation that they trotted out last year yeah um i don't think it's a massive upgrade but it's an upgrade but the but if you but so going back to what concerns me is like I look at this bullpen and I'm and I'm I, I don't know what it's going to be at all. You got ten pitchers who are hurt or who have not appeared yet in spring training, haven't thrown yet in spring training, and and you don't you just don't know what you're going to get. And one of the interesting things, Bob, and I wanted to bring this up at some point, um, you know, in our conversation. But you, you look anymore with pitching in spring training. And teams don't throw their pitchers very many innings in spring training. And a lot of these guys who are going to be in this bullpen are going to throw five innings in live action in spring training. Six, seven. I mean, even still, if it gets oh, I, I don't
1: think we're going to get the benefit of learning a ton about the arms that the Phillies are going but, to enter the season with. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, so, yeah,
0: that's what I'm saying. So not only are you going into the season with a lot of uncertainty – but how ready really are they going to be when they hit the start of the season and that's what concerns me and that's where i think that they're that they were um neglectful in the off season you know and we boy do we have a lot to talk about about that about not wanting to go over to the luxury tax but you know i think that's where they were really neglecting this or this this roster is not fixing a, a, an area of need and and, and kind of just crossing your fingers and hoping that it, it works out. I mean, that's for a team that wants to contend, that's that's a scary proposition to me.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting point that you make, especially when you look at this bullpen, you're counting on guys like Sir Anthony Dominguez coming back and, and being what you thought he was going to be when he first came up. I mean, he was so good. Uh, in 2018, that first you know those first 15, 20 appearances, and but people forget even before the injury issues last year, he struggled. The, the fastball velocity wasn't there, and yeah, sure you could attribute that to hey, this was a a precursor to the injury that he experienced, maybe. But if you go back to 2018 in the second half, it's not that he was terrible, but there was a significant drop off from that that first month or two when he really burst onto the scene. So. The the sample size of, of Sir Anthony Dominguez at this point, like I can't say with any confidence that he, yes, I've seen the stuff, and and certainly I understand why he projects to be a back end of the bullpen type of pitcher or a high leverage pitcher, but I just I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people have sort of kind of just said, well, if he's healthy, he's going to be excellent. I don't know that we have a, a big enough sample to draw from to make that conclusion with with any with any. I don't know, definition, you know, I just don't, I yeah. look at him and I go, he is a huge question mark beyond the health question marks. And, well,
0: so, just for a second, I mean, you know, look, at, like I'm trying to piece together the bullpen, right? And you're absolutely right about Dominguez. You know, Naris is, is kind of reliable, you know, now they've locked him up, they gave him a new deal, right? So, okay, fine, I'm, I'm okay with with, with Narris there. Um, but Dominguez, question mark. Adam Morgan coming off of an injury? Question mark. Tommy Hunter coming off of an injury? Question mark. I mean, I mean that, that's probably your set. your the guys who are going to be your setup guys and your closer, and and so like you really don't know. And then you bring back a guy like Jose Alvarez, Rangers Suarez. Okay, fine. And whoever loses the Velazquez Pavetta. Fifth starter race, fine, and they got to find a long man, probably out of one of these minor league. Do, do you think a guy like Francisco Liriano may figure yeah. into this thing? Maybe, or Diolis Guerra is the other man. guy. You know, one of those guys is gonna is gonna get that, you know, final bullpen spot. But you know those names that I just threw at you does that ins- does that inspire you to say, oh yeah, I'm I'm loving the the, the, set, the matchups that we're gonna have now, after I, the sixth inning. <laughs> I
1: think that the Phillies are banking on high volume and just bullpen volatility and, and hopefully hitting on a couple pieces. Whereas in the past couple seasons they they really haven't been overly lucky when it comes to the bullpen. So I think it's almost just like a not that they're simply relying on luck or the law of averages but i do think that there's a little bit of that you know hey let's let's diversify here let's take a lot of chances on some you know fairly limited ceiling pitchers but guys that could be decent for us you know and again i think that that isn't something to get overly excited about now, it's funny to me that you're on the bullpen because i'm on the rotation and i well, i'm with you there too and and i know <laughs> yeah. you are but it just <laughs> I have a hard time when I assess this thing because I can kind of talk myself into this lineup. I really can, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I I can find a way to think to myself, this should be a top five lineup in the National League. And and is that a stretch, and is there maybe some more downside to the lineup? Sure, but I can, sitting here on February 26th, talk myself into this being a very good lineup. But when I come back to this rotation, and Aaron Nola, who – you know, again, when it's all said and done, was very good last season. He took a little bit of a step back from from 2018, but I guess that's to be expected. But building off of that, you know, you have concerns about Wheeler. Fine, that's fair. I'd be even willing to go so far as to say that I think that Jake Arietta might have a little bit of a bounce back year. But I, I just when I get to that back end, I really struggle with it. And Zach Eflin. You know, he he pitched in spurts last year where he was brilliant. He was a disaster uh, in late June going into the beginning of July. It, it's so up and down. It's so erratic. And I think that when we talk about Brian Price and his potential value, a guy like Zach Eflin, I think, is going to be key. You know, can he find something that, that allows for him to maybe avoid those, you know, those just – Low, low, low valleys. Like they have to eliminate those from his season. And if they can do that, he becomes a functional third, fourth starter for you. But. As it is, like, I, I just can't go through six, seven-start stretches where a guy gives you absolutely nothing and then you're demoting him to the bullpen come mid-July. I mean, that's that's something I can't get over. Now, Zach Eflin recently talked about the baseball. I think it was uh, Jim Salisbury, I believe, for NBC Sports Philly who did a story about the baseball and how Zach Eflin feels that it, it has a little bit more grip to it this year. Uh, he thinks that it may play a little bit better for him, so he's optimistic about that. That's great. Jake Arietta talked a little bit about price's influence as well that they're they're not going to fall in love with pitching at the top half of the strike zone. And you saw what that led to last year. The Phillies allowed 258 home runs, second most in the National League behind only the Colorado Rockies. And by the way, it was a team record. Certainly the home run rates are up all around baseball, but the Phillies have to rectify the long ball issue and it, it you know, you see these players, you hear these players coming out and saying the way that we did it last year, not that they came out and crushed Chris Young, and Gabe Kapler, but there certainly was an indication there that they did not have full belief in what they were were talking about in these meetings, in these pregame meetings, in their plan of attack. So
0: yeah. do, well,
1: does this lead to an uptick? And and I, I want to ask you one other thing about this, because I, I want to go maybe multi-sport and kind of look at this from a broader perspective. Maybe, and this is a thought that I've had, is it that the actual game plan itself will be beneficial, or is it that guys like Jake Arietta, guys like Arietta that have clout, that have the ear of guys like Zach Eflin, that have the ear of guys like Nick Pavetta, if those guys listen to Brian Price and say, See, this is the shit I'm talking about. Last year, we were, this was a clown game plan. This is so much better and they just have an inherent belief in what they're being you know Instructed and what the in and a belief in those conversations can that in and of itself just the the comfort and buy-in Lead to an uptick in production because I think that's going to be one of the key storylines of the 2020 Phillies It
0: is and 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 I think that that's uh, that's the the big question and you know you, You sit here and you look at this team and say should they be better than an 80 win team? Yeah, they should I don't know how much better. I don't know if they're you know better enough to be better than the other three teams in the division. But at the same time, they should be better. And why? And you know, so let's break it down and you look at different reasons as why they should be better. And this could certainly be one. And it's interesting that you you brought it up. And it's interesting that you brought up Eflin. You know he pitched today. Um, yeah, they played uh, Minnesota um, in in spring training, and um, there was uh, one out and a runner at first in the first inning. Um, and Nelson Cruz was at the plate, okay, and he uh, it was full count. And rather than throw that fastball up, he threw a sinker to Cruz and got him into a uh, hit into a double play to get out of the inning. And then um, Matt Gelb at the Athletic talked to Eflin after the game, and Eflin said, "I was pretty excited about that. It was just going back to my sinker. That's a situation where I need to throw it." Um, and then Gelb said, "Would you have thrown that in the same situation last year?" And he goes, "Um." That's last year. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe a fastball at the top of the zone or maybe try to rip a hard cutter or slider or something like that. And so then he talked to Brian Price afterwards, and Price said, you know, for starters, it's hard for that elevated location to be your primary fastball location. It doesn't matter. Any place I would be right now, I would be emphasizing commanding the low pitch. It's a different approach. And it's not saying that you can't throw a, a high heater; you certainly can. But that if you control the lower part of the strike zone, you'll be you'll be a better pitcher. And so, you know, I think guys like Arrieta and Eflin, especially those two, will benefit from that. Now, will they benefit enough? That's the that's the big question that we need to answer. But I do think, arbitrarily just off the top, that yes, they will. Benefit from that approach that the team is taking. So,
1: so, one of the things, and I actually was having a little bit of a back and forth with Matt Gelb yesterday, uh, as a matter of fact. And it, so, the one thing that I think has been sort of interesting coming out of Clearwater so far is you know, hey, and even if it hasn't been blatantly said, it sort of just feels like that this clubhouse is putting out this message of this year feels different, this year is better, the plan is better and and that's good you know right like there's no there's nothing wrong with that like if if these guys feel better about joe Girardi and you know brian price and you know if they feel better about the the men that are delivering the message great but i'm curious as to see how it plays out because i feel like to be perfectly honest with you gabe kapler was like a bulletproof vest for these guys last year and and that was one of the things that I felt like being around that team, the, the players really didn't get criticism because the manager got so much of it. And I think that that almost led to like my counter reaction of like, man, poor Gabe Kapler's just getting dumped on for every single thing. Like there's no accountability with these players though. And and I actually think that of all of Gabe Kapler's faults, that may have been the, the thing that really was the most detrimental to the 2019 Phillies. Like, th- There was no accountability in that clubhouse in hindsight, and the players really weren't forced to be accountable, frankly. It was simply a matter of, hey, that was Gabe Kapler's mess up, or this is Gabe Kapler's fault, or because of the press conferences. Like, Everything that was unimportant was what got focused on with that team last year, and now Gabe Kapler's gone. So the security blanket, that bulletproof vest, That's bye-bye, you know, so if Zach Eflin can't piece it together this year, if Nick Pavetta has another bomb year, if Scott Kingery, you know, hits 225 in the second half, he's not going to have that, hey, you know, I bounced around to multiple, multiple positions, or, hey, you know, with Zach Eflin, I had a pitch at the top of the strike zone last year, like, it's here it is, guys, you know, like, it's time to do it
0: yeah and i'm going to make another i'm going to make another hockey comparison only because it's funny it's they're mirroring each other in a lot of ways you know the Flyers sucked last year, and they sucked because they had a bad coach and who didn't hold any players accountable. Who you know, it kind of it kind of made things kind of miserable in the locker room. Um, and then now this year, pretty much the same group of guys with a couple of you know marginal changes, but you know upgrades. You know, here and if you want to compare, you know, the Zach Wheeler to Kevin Hayes and Didi Gregorius to like Matt Niskanen, whatever you do that kind of comparison and say, well, this is you know, the Phillies did kind of the same cosmetic improvements but the big change was you know behind the bench and the flyers all of a sudden now are a really good team because the coach is holding the players accountable for the way that they play and i think that joe girardi has that same gravitas that elaine Vino has in hockey because they've both they're they're you know they have they've been successful in the past they've been they've got a lot of experience and i think that you know you bring guys in who who put that plan in place and the players are going to buy in at least in the beginning they they don't really have a choice but to buy in and so if they buy in and they believe in it and they get a little bit of success early that can kind of that could kind of steamroll and then and then you can be a good team a, a much better team than maybe you know you was anticipated at the beginning of the season so I think that there that kind of is, is a thing in sports that happens and you're, if you're the Phillies I think that's what you're hoping happens here
1: So – and I'm in full agreement with you to that end. I have to – Guess, you know, we started by saying, like, what is the thing I can't get over? I really didn't get over. I, I didn't get to the thing that bothers me most. And that comes down to the back end of this rotation beyond Zach Eflin. It's. You mean I five cannot starter? believe. I cannot believe. And I know that if you go around baseball and you look at number five starters, not too many teams feel great about who they have back there. But it's just amazing to me. At the end of last season, I thought for sure that there was no way we would enter this year going with zach efflin as your four and then doing the vince velasquez nick pavetta thing again this season and we had this coaching staff leave we have a new one come in and here we are and we're still doing this and it's it's interesting to me i guess we could talk about both of these guys first but I, i really didn't think we would be doing the vince velasquez conversation again in 2020 i truly didn't and he was okay his first time out, two innings. He was efficient, 26 pitches. That was a nice change. I, I believe one of the beat guys down there tweeted it out like he made a joke about it. Um, that's that's great. Um, Nick Pavetta, you know, soft contact, I believe was the hot phrase. Uh, after the first start, kind of got hit around a little bit but didn't give up too too many balls that were hit all that hard. He tried to implement the change up more, something that I think he has to do if he's going to be successful, Um you know, I just look at it, though, and, and after last season, I'm truly surprised that this team feels that there's something there or enough there with either of these guys, both of these guys, that they're willing to to give them yet another chance.
0: <laughs> I'm right there with you, my friend. <laughs> like I, I, can, it, can, it blows me I say, away, too. Can I
1: say, I think that Vince Velasquez um, – is liked in that clubhouse, and I think that, you know, I don't want to say that Nick Pavetta is not liked in that clubhouse, but I, I will tell you that I, I mean, I'd be careful about how I say this, but I would tell you that if if Gabe Kapler and and that previous staff were back in 2020, I I don't believe that Nick Pavetta would have the same shot that he's being afforded right now. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah I mean, I can say that's that pretty th- confidently. Yeah, and that's the thing that happens too. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, a manager or a coach doesn't, you know mesh well with a certain player and usually the coach and manager wins out because you know they are you know running the team and so the player you know has to move on but sometimes you get a case where you know the manager is replaced the coach is replaced and a player gets a new lease on life gets a second chance and it's basically you know basically what's happening is Girardi comes in you know and he, he probably sits down with Pavetta and says here's a blank piece of paper this is what I know about you. So you know, help me fill in. Help me fill in the uh, fill in the blanks, and then Pavetta then has to write that story. Now, is it possible that Nick Pavetta writes the same story that he's written the last couple of years? Yeah, sure. You know that could just be what he is and then of course the phillies will you know probably move on from him you know with a little bit more alacrity this season than they have in the past but maybe he responds to this maybe this is what he needs and that in he ends up being at least a decent option for them because you know we were kind of bullish on him previously yeah. because he's got good stuff He's just got a 10-cent head sometimes. Yeah, if you go
1: back and listen to us a year ago, uh, we were on that train. You know, I mean, you look at it. You you look at the physical makeup. You look at the arm, the stuff, and all of that. And there were spots last year where he put that together and kind of flashed it. But there was no consistency whatsoever. And you talk about a 10-cent head. I mean, he, I think, was a guy that really – you know the 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 thing that I kind of that that struck me about Nick Pavetta was that even when things weren't going well, he acted as if he was a former Cy Young Award winner.
0: Um, well, he he would never take take responsibility yeah. for things going badly. Like I, it was always some other reason why he wasn't successful.
1: And I think more so than refining mechanics, or or just as important, I should say, I don't want to say more so, but just as important as refining mechanics, I think that he needed to mature a little bit. And and it's entirely possible that that he has and that he will continue to do so. I mean, like there I understand that there's still some value in him and if you were to trade him this past offseason, you would have been sell, selling him at probably rock bottom value, right? Like so to to just cast him aside maybe doesn't make a ton of sense, but I I'm surprised that the Phillies didn't come in with a better with a better plan B. And, you know, frankly, I don't know that I would be as concerned about this if I felt more, you know, if if I felt a little bit better about the three and four starters. But because you have such uncertainty in the middle of that rotation, then to have the question marks that you do in the back end of it as well, that's when I go back and I assess the 2020 Phillies, because we'll talk about reasons for optimism in a second, you know, because there are reasons for optimism. But no matter what I do, once I get past those reasons for optimism, I just keep coming back to, you know, hey, you're going to potentially have three-game series where opponents are going to see Jake Arietta they're going to see Nick Pavetta, they're going to see Zach Eflin. And I'm saying Nick Pavetta now because I kind of expect him to win that fifth starter spot. Well, uh,
0: the reason I expect him to win it, Bob, is because if I had a pick between the two of them, which one is better in the bullpen. I think Velasquez is a better bullpen piece. Yeah,
1: I don't see Nick Pavetta as a bullpen piece. I really don't. I I don't think that that's going to be a long-term solution. Maybe you play that back three years from now and say, nice take asshole. But I mean, I I truly, (laughs) I don't think that that, that's going to happen. So yeah, no, I agree with you. So switching gears a little bit here, uh, you know, listen, there are people out there that believe the Phillies are going to make the playoffs for the first time since the 2011 season. Um, they certainly have a ton of very top-heavy talent here that, that that can carry a team for for stretches. Um, you know, so if if you look at this, I guess uh, let me just ask it to you straight: Why are you optimistic, or what do you feel good about with this team
0: as we sit here right now? Well, again, it's it's hard to really say what I'm really optimistic about because I. I'm not. Uh, I'm not optimistic about much. <laughs> um,
1: is, is this the time to kind of sneak in the win total? Why don't we do that just for context here as people are listening? Like, where well, are you at win total wise?
0: Well, hopefully, we'll do this again in a month right uh-huh. before the season happens. We'll make an official prediction. So I'll, I'll say this is an unofficial prediction. You can right,
1: even give us a window if you don't want to lock in on yeah, one number.
0: Unofficially, I'll say at this point, I, I look at this team and I see, you know, 84, 85. Okay. I mean that's not like, you know, it's not 77. It's not Dakota. No. No, I, I I don't think that I don't think they're that bad. I think well, you know, you look at the lineup and the lineup has to be a little bit better than it was last year. Right? You, you you hope you get a full season out of McCutcheon, um you know, Gregorius should should add a little pop to the middle of the lineup, even though he's not an on base guy. Um, you know, you hope Kingery is the first half of the season, Scott Kingery, not the second half of the season, Scott Kingery. Uh, you know, maybe Segura not having to be at the top of the lineup, you put him down towards the bottom. Maybe he becomes a more effective guy, hitting 290. At the you I know, think it.
1: the key question becomes: in addition to maybe he hits 290, but also can he play a a competent third base? I, you can't right. expect it to be good or above average, but can he
0: be competent there right. until yeah. Outbaum comes up, which I think is an inevitability at this point. But. Sure, sure. Um, so, so yeah. So, like, and Hoskins has to be better than he was last year. Has to be. He can't be worse. So, I mean, so yeah, there are things that you look at and say, well, you know, the the lineup should be better. But then I can also sit here and say to you, you know, Bob, (laughs) after Hoskins, if you go five, six, seven, eight, there's not a lot of on base, (laughs) like guys who are going to get on base with regularity down there. Gregorius is a sub 300 on base guy. Segura, even though he has a decent batting average, doesn't walk. Kingery's not a high on base guy. Yeah, Adam Hazley is I mean I'm not even sure he's going to last as the starting center fielder. He's more of a number 4. Um so like I look at that lineup and say it's it's it could be feast or famine against the Phillies.
1: I think the team's early trust in Adam Hazley is a pretty good indication that they truly want Scott Kingery to play second base. You know, I think that yeah. th- what you're seeing at the beginning of this camp here is is the plan. I, you know, I know that the, the narrative is like, hey, we're going to work these guys in everywhere. Scott's still super versatile. And listen, if injuries occur... I'm sure the plan changes but right now this is the the optimal plan from this front office. Scott Kingery at second, Gene Segura at third, keeping the seat warm until boom comes up we'll figure it out. You know, if Segura's is playing really well that's something we'll figure out when we get there. Adam Hazley in center field though. Like that, that that to me feels like a stretch and I know they're going to ask him to hit probably eighth. So it's not like he's going to have to carry this team offensively and there were times last year where he was he was pretty good. But I'm curious to see how he holds up if he's the everyday, you know, if he's the everyday or close to everyday option. I, I, I'm not convinced that that's going to be the case. I'm also curious to know how Roman Quinn and maybe, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, don't want to go there right now, but if a guy like Odubel Herrera still factors in and we'll have that conversation a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to think Quinn is, you know, again, he's never healthy, right? So, I mean, that's the, that's the real catch-all with him. But... Um, if let's just assume <laughs> for for the sake of argument that Roman Quinn can finally stay healthy, okay. If he does, I think Roman Quinn and Adam Hazley are probably fifty fifty in center field this year. I that mean, sounds, that's sounds that's, about that's, right. That's what I think it's going to be. I think that they're going to platoon that that spot.
1: So I think that when you project out 84 wins, okay, uh, that's that's a fair number. I don't think anybody's going to hear that number and go like, well, you're, you're an idiot or you're wrong or, yeah. you know, you're so off base. Like this is a 96-win team. You know, I don't think anybody's there. But so the key question for me, and I think this will tie into something else that you wanted to talk about, do the Phillies – like let me give you this hypothetical scenario. Um, it's July 24th, and the Phillies are – Two games out of the lead in the NL East, and they are—I don't know—we'll say give or take a game um, near the top of the wild card standings. Do you think this team goes for it? Air
0: quotes, goes for it. They have to, Bob. <laughs> if that's the case, if that's where they're at, they have to. It's—it's it's, to me, it's an in, it's an indictment of ownership that they refused to go over that. Uh, luxury tax in the off season, and basically said, well, if we're in it, well, then we'll do it. Is like, there a
1: certain player that you feel that they should have signed that they didn't that that kind of like is an affront to the fans like, you know, because when I, I will say this and, and I will defend them on this, I would not make the trade for Chris Bryant at this point. Like, no. I don't believe that Chris Bryant at $21 million with this current roster to part ways with a guy like Spencer Howard or if it's Alec Boehm, I don't believe that the return is going to push this team over the top. So, therefore, that's not a deal I'm going to make. So, I will say that. You know, I'm not I'm not killing him for not making that deal. But is, is there a deal for you or just, just in well, general, Like, you know, are we just talking more about – like the philosophy of not going over, or is it like, hey, they should have done this?
0: Well, so here's what I mean. I'm you know, the, I'm really not going to think of specific names that I would have, you know, said, oh, go get this guy, go get this guy. But I, I do think they could have added another starter, a, you know, a, a, another mid rotation starter. I do think that they could have, uh, you know, when I see what Arizona gave up for Starling Marte, and I sat there and said, oh, geez, the Phillies could have done that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> like you could have, you could have brought him in and played him in center field, and that would have been a nice addition to the lineup and brought some nice balance. And and I absolutely would have done something different than the um, bargain bin shopping that they did for the bullpen. Because when you you know I look at all the non roster invitees who are who are in camp in the bullpen. You got Diolis Guerra, Anthony Swarzik, Francisco Liriano, Blake Parker, Bud Norris, Drew Storin. It's like, holy cow! It's it's these guys were good or decent, what four or five years ago, but not now. And that's that's all they did. And so they're again, they they brought all these guys in and hope that somebody catches and, and catches on and and is. And workable. That's what they're hoping for. Rather than it saying, you know what? If we spend a little bit of money, maybe we can trade for a guy or sign a guy that can fit into this bullpen a little bit better. Like, you know, what was it Will Harris that was available in the, yeah, in the offseason? And Braves went out and got Will Smith. Will Smith. You know, yeah. You know those guys, like those kinds of players. Like to me, spend that money. And I know that they got burned with the Robertson thing last year because he got hurt. Right, I get it, and maybe you don't want to. You're gun shy because of that, but yeah, you know, you gotta, you, you at least try doing that rather than go and get try and get all these retreads and hope somebody you know rises like the phoenix from the ashes.
1: <laughs> so I, I mean, I hear you. I just when I look at where this team's at right now, and if they do put together a competitive first few months of this season, one of the reasons that I am optimistic, and I I don't have a ton of confidence in this front office, I will say that. uh, I've been very critical of this front office. I, I can't believe as much as they've spent that this is the return that they've gotten. Some of that is luck, bad luck, lack of luck, however you want to term it, but they've made a series of mistakes, and they have not gotten return on investment. That being said, I do believe, given this This roster construction, you've built it with, you know, top heavy talent, some of which is getting older. You you don't have stability with JT Real Muto. You don't know what that's going to look like beyond this season as of right now. You really don't know what you're gonna get out of Andrew McCutcheon. Like there's so many guys, like they built this team to win in 2020. And I think that if they do get to the point where they say, Hey, you know what, we're within striking distance, we're going to go for it, That. To me, it's so obvious that they are going to do that and that they have to do that. It is one of the more it's one of the reasons i'm I'm somewhat optimistic. I'm almost projecting out. Like if some of these these 50 50 propositions kind of fall in their favor, I think that they're going to be in it. and if they're in it, I expect them to put their foot on the gas and go for it. And so that's part of the reason why I, I feel maybe a little bit more optimistic about the Phillies moving forward than I even do at this this particular moment.
0: I get it. But at the same time, I, I you know, you look at the you you talked about starting pitching. And one of the things, you know, you know as well as I do, that you can't just have five starting pitchers, right? I mean, you're going to you're going to need eight guys at some point. I'm sure, you know, everybody's talking about Spencer Howard. Howard's probably going to get you know, make it to the uh, majors at some point this season. The, the Phillies are going to call on him to come in and hope that you know he becomes whatever he expects him to be. Um, you know, it, it, towards the top end of the rotation guy. But really, beyond Spencer Howard, yeah, like
1: he's not going to come in and be Marty Bystrom in, in right. September but, but, and
0: go five and zero down the stretch, and you know, you know. But but beyond Spencer Howard, who by the way isn't even on the forty man right now, who do you have? Like who comes in? Some one of these guys, like you know. Pulls a hamstring at the, at the, in training camp, and they can't pitch to start the season.
1: Who who do you add? Well, so your depth piece right now really is what? Vin, Vince Velasquez and or the you know the loser of the Velasquez-Pavetta battle. That's your your sixth
0: yeah. guy. Yeah, Cole, uh, Cole Irvin. Cole Irvin. Yeah, that's seven. <laughs> yeah, see, that's depth. It runs <laughs> seven deep, dude. I mean, I, yeah, Adonis Medina.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: And De Los Santos, he's still around. He's still on the 40-man, and he hasn't even pitched yet this spring because he's had some kind of injury as well. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, they don't even have – they didn't even invite guys in. Like, another thing, like, I look around and I look at – JoJo Romero. Saying, yeah, I know, right? I, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that I think Felix Hernandez is going to be a success with the Braves. I really I, I really don't. I think he's done. I think he's towards the end of his career. But the, the point is, is that the Braves took a flyer on a veteran starter and said, let's bring him in, you know, minor league deal, see what we got, and, you know, who knows. The Phillies didn't do that with any starter, and I think that's that's as bad as not addressing the bullpen. That's that's as bad. You know, they bargain basement bin for the bullpen. They didn't even go bargain basement shopping for for a depth starter. They just said, eh, we're going to go with what we got," and that's crazy to me. Like they didn't even try. You know, you're you're ruining my my optimism
1: hour here. This is supposed to be the optimism <laughs> segment, and you're just pissing all over it, man. Come on. So, listen, it's I, what I, do. I what have I do to go. Well, so, I got to pull out the trump card here. I, I have to go to my ace in the hole, and that is Bryce Harper. I, and I'll tell you what, I feel very good about Bryce Harper this year. I, uh, he Obviously, he was very good. The final 67 games last year, I believe, I had 19 homers, OPS well over 900. Really started to figure things out. I believe, and I, I know that in general you can't say that the way that one season finishes will necessarily bleed into and carry over into the next, but... I look at Bryce Harper, and I, I sort of look at it like this. You look at the weight of expectations a year ago. You look at the contract, the fact that he got into to spring training late, getting acclimated to a new city. I just feel like that you can talk about these guys being robotic and, and that they have to block all this out and that they're performers of the highest degree, but I do think that the contextual variables outside of, of stepping in the batter's box and swinging – Probably had an adverse impact on Bryce Harper in the early going last year. And it's not that he was terrible, but he just certainly didn't meet expectations. I think once he got his feet on the ground a little bit, took a deep breath, you know, Bryce Harper and what he truly is started to kind of, you know, come out. And I, I just think that he's in a better place this year. I think he's settled. I think he's probably in a better place physically. And I expect him to have a monster season. I'm not telling you that he's going to win the National League MVP award, but I do think that he is – I would say if you take a look at his stat line going across in 2019, I would not be shocked if in almost every single major category that there is either – that I would say measurable improvement. I really think that that's the type of season he's about to have.
0: And that's good because, I, you know, they need him to have that kind of season. They just, they just really do. They need Harper – to kind of carry this team again. Um, and it's, he's used to it. I mean, you know, he's used to being the man, and he's going to be the man again this year. And I think that, I think you're right. I think he'll have a better year than he had last year. Um, and that's good. There's nothing negative to, to point to there. I just don't know if it's enough.
1: Did you see his comments uh, about how he, I guess it was Zalecki that might have had it, um, how he, Kept an eye on the Arizona Fall League this past year. He keeps tabs on the Phillies minor league system and and the progress of the different prospects and whatnot. I mean, like one thing that I I kind of we had said right away with Bryce Harper is that he's an excellent marketer. Like he really knows how to market his brand. He knows what to say, how to say, play to the fans. More and more, I listen to this guy though. I, I have to say and. and Every night last year in front of the camera, when they weren't playing well or he was struggling, he was there to answer the questions. Like, you talk about the lack of accountability last year. One of the few guys in that clubhouse that I felt did have it was Bryce Harper. I I have to say this. I I feel like I have some detector for bullshit, and I do believe that – Privately, I'm sure there were times where he looked around and said, like, this isn't great, or these fans aren't, you know, packing the house, or this isn't what I thought it was going to be. In, like, those moments where he really struggled and the team was struggling. But by and large, I listen to this guy talk, and I get the sense that he's a pretty genuine dude. Like, yeah, he's smart, and he knows how to play the game and knows how to play the game with the media, but... I've been impressed by him uh, and I guess maybe there's some jilted ex-nationals beat writers that might might say yeah wait for it dude but uh, you know I I am in in general impressed with with Bryce Harper the player and really the the person and the presence in the clubhouse as well
0: yeah well, I mean he I think he changed a little bit from when he was in Washington to when he got to Philly I think that was part of the whole image transformation you know i'm going to go to this city i'm going to be there for 13 years i better be a guy that they like and do, love do you think that the, the change of scenery
1: do you think that the change of scenery kind of allowed for that like maturation process to occur like you, you know when you're when you're in a clubhouse like let's say the, the kid showed up when he was what 19 years old in washington and you know i'm sure he acted like a brat sometimes Those guys look around the locker room and go like dude is this guy for real with this like, do you think that that natural change to, you know, to the Phillies or to a different team, different, you know, change of scenery kind of promotes that growth and makes it a little bit easier? Yeah, I do.
0: But I also, th- I, I also think he was uh, very, um, uh, very well trained, I want to say, uh, by Scott Boris to know what this city needed from him. And he has stuck to it from minute one, and it's still there today, he gets it. And that's a good thing. I mean, you know, a lot of times athletes are going, there's a lot of good guys who are athletes. But then there's those who take that next, go to the next level and get it. They get the city that they play in. They understand that their fan base. And I think Bryce Harper is that guy in the Phillies locker room. He gets it. And I think that that's a good thing. You know, um, there needs to be more guys like that. Take away, the, take away the talent on the field, but that he gets and understands what his role is as a player in the city of Philadelphia. And that's good. That's a good thing. And I think that, you know, the, the, there's a, when there's a symbiotic relationship between a player and, its, and the city's fans, I think it only benefits the player because you you feel more comfortable playing in that environment you you have more um you know it's an exci- you're excited to go to the ballpark, you have more confidence you know and 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 then you yes you you can celebrate with them at the same time, so like it's a good thing for a player to have that relationship with the fans as opposed to being somebody that they don't pay attention to at all or somebody that they boo the hell out of, right? So I I think that that's a good thing, and I think that you're right on with Harper. I think Harper is going to have a better year than he had last year for the Phillies, and that's one reason certainly to be optimistic about them.
1: There are some other things I want to get into, and I think we should probably wait on a couple of them. Like Reese Hoskins, I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive on him. And, And I think it's very easy to say, well, here's a good player that really struggled down the stretch. Guy probably had never, ever in his life dealt with anything like he did last year. What did that do to him mentally? You know, what type of impact did that have on his performance did it just sort of snowball on him. And I think that the the assumption here in 2020 is that he's going to bounce back. He's a better player than what he showed last year, but I want to talk and 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 that's why I want to hold off on this a little bit. I really want to talk about is that is that a foregone conclusion or or was he exposed a little bit last year? Because I'd like to believe that that he is more of what we saw in the first half and and far from the the train wreck frankly that we saw in the second half, but I don't think it's just as simple as, hey, law of averages, or, hey, he changed his hand placement. I think that there's a little bit more at play there. And, and, you know, I'm almost kind of like teasing this in a way. I want to talk a little bit more about him next week. Um, Before we wrap this one up, we're pressing about an hour here coming up. Pushing towards midnight, wouldn't be a crossed-up without coming towards midnight. (laughs) Uh, There are a couple things I do want to quickly hit on. The JT Romuto thing, um, you know, listen, the Phillies, you can criticize them for not going over the uh, luxury tax in this offseason. Um, Certainly many people have. There also seems to be this, this, I guess, take or thesis out there amongst fans that – the Phillies kind of wrong J.T Realmuto by not meeting him uh, at the, the 12.4 million dollar mark that he was asking for this offseason, taking him to arbitration and then obviously ultimately winning in arbitration as well the team did. Um, do, do you, were the Phillies wrong for doing that? and I guess off of that, do you think that that's going to cause trouble between the two sides uh, as they start to talk about a long-term deal?
0: No, I don't, I don't think they were wrong, and I don't think it's going to cause trouble. I think that that's part of the business of sports. Um, you know, you you go to arbitration and you sit there and say, look, I'm sure there were conversations that said, hey, can we meet in the middle? And somebody said no. Um, more likely the player and his agent said no. Um, so you go to arbitration and, you know, hey, look, it's still a record deal for a catcher, right? That $10 million is still a record deal for Real Muto. Um, I think he likes it here. I think he wants to be here. I think the Phillies want to sign him long term. I think it's going to happen. I, I'm in I don't...
1: full agreement with you. I, yeah. I think that you're looking at, you know, potentially five years, hundred twenty yeah. something million dollars, yeah. and I think that'll get it done. I think that uh, JT Realmuto is has a right to be frustrated with the. With the system, uh, but that's something that he needs to talk to his player association rep about, too. I mean, that is the system, and yep. his and, and the way that that arbitrator ruled was not really out of line, frankly, to, to what the system suggests he should be making. So uh, I don't think that that's going to really be a, a hang-up moving forward, and I think that that's the most important thing. But, uh, you know, people talk about that, and they, they look at it and say, the damn team is so cheap. Um, now, the fanatic thing, on the other well, hand... That, that, yes. I mean, that's a perfect example of being cheap. I was just going say to this, say this. I don't want to have the fanatic conversation. Do we have to have this? Do we have to do this? I, no, was this on your, have, a, we don't your to have, list tonight?
0: We don't, have, we don't need to have a, an in-depth conversation about it, but I just think that the Phillies... what The, the way the Phillies have handled this, they're, they're, it's a lose-lose situation. Yeah. They're not going to come out looking good in any regard. Yeah. Changing the way that the fanatic looks, looks bad, and the fact that they just <laughs> don't pay these people to shut up... Looks bad, so they, they they can't do anything at this point. Yeah. I think to to kind of fix that. They're I just want a have dollar to...
1: amount. Uh, what is it? What, what are their names? Wayne Harrison and Bonnie Erickson, something yeah, like that. Something Harrison like that. and Erickson. Yeah, I, I want to know what they're, what they're looking for. Are they just like looking for another million, two million dollars to go away. Are they like? Are they swinging for the fences? And the Phillies actually do have a claim to like just say, hey, listen, you're you're way out of line here. But yeah,
0: I mean, I think both parties are way out of line. I <laughs> yeah. think that they want to. I think that the the original. People want too much money, and I think that the Phillies are being too stubborn. Yeah, so find find that middle ground where neither side is happy, but both sides will take it and move on.
1: Forty? What did they do? Forty five years ago? I think they designed the fanatic. Well, yeah, I mean, so the fanatic? Th- I,
0: I was alive when the fanatic when the fanatic. Uh, uh, made his debut in 1978. So were you um, around I'm, for
1: Phil and Phyllis too? I,
0: I was around for Phil and Phyllis. I talked about that. You missed that. I, uh, I talked no. about that with uh, Kincaid and uh, and Russ. I remember Phil and Phyllis. And so what it was, Bob, before the Fanatic, um, they had a Phil and Phyllis mascot that you know walked around, but they also had these animatronic Phil and Phyllis in uh, center field that whenever somebody hit a home run, they would light a cannon and fire a cannon, revolutionary cannon. And when they did that behind the outfield wall at the Vet, th- these uh, water fountains would shoot up, and they would like Kansas City has, right? But yeah. it was the same same kind of thing, and they would be like lights underneath the water, and it would like be this like a like crazy little water light show. Every time, so there would a, be a cannon shot and water fountains shooting up in the air every time somebody hit a home run at the vet. It
1: sounds like wild times. <laughs> it sounds like crazy times when the, the bull would set off the water fountains. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, so here you go. A couple more quick things for me, and then we can just touch on anything you want to get to. Um, anything that that can happen between now and the end of spring training that would make you feel better or kind of move the needle for you? No, I mean, I, and that, that's I mean, I, that's that's the thing about spring training. Like, it's good to see baseball on TV. Yeah. I hope nobody gets hurt. But I've I've seen too many Dom Brown breakout marches. And, and yeah. you know, I just uh, even I, Ryan I, Howard at the end there where, where he had a couple good marches and then it just didn't really translate once the season started. I just uh, I don't know, man. I yeah,
0: I, I'm curious. You know what? I'll tell you. I am curious to see, you know, now that you have the 26 man roster, I'm curious to see what the bench looks like. I was the thing, you know, it was a thorn in my side, as you remember last year. I, I hated the bench. Um, you know, I know Naps going to be your backup catcher again. Oh, my God. But, you know, whatever. Backup catcher's backup catcher. Um, Jay Bruce is under contract, so he's going to be on the bench. And, you know, if Roman Quinn stays healthy, he's probably. The there, but then there's two Josh other spots. Harrison. Yeah, well there's two other spots. You know, just Josh Harrison, Neil Walker, is that what it's is that how it's gonna play out? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean that's that's yeah. where I'm kind of I'm kind of interested. You know, they brought in Ronald Torres who was with Girardi on the Yankees, so maybe he has a leg up over somebody. He's
1: played a lot in the early going here. He's he's yeah. had a ton of time.
0: And so has Logan Forsyth. Yeah. Um he's played a little bit, you know, he's been around. That TJ Rivera is in camp with them. They brought Phil Goslin back, Mm -hmm. and where does Nick Williams fit?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was funny, and I know a couple people on Twitter made this joke, but I have to be honest with you, it was like one of those things where you see Nick Williams and you go, "Man, guy's still around. He's still here." You know, I just I kind of had completely written him off at the end of last season. And, again, kind of like along the same lines of Nick Pavetta, I think if Gabe Kapler uh, was here in in 2020, I don't think that they would have put those two together again. Uh, Those two just straight up did not see eye to eye on things. Uh, I know that that Gabe felt that Nick was also, uh, you know, dealing with some maturity issues and things of that nature. I I don't know. I don't foresee Nick Williams on this team. I I don't. But, I mean, if if he has a hot spring here, you know, I guess weirder things have happened.
0: Yeah, no, and you know they traded for that Kyle Garlick from the Dodgers. Yeah, uh, and they put him on the forty man. So that tells me a little bit of something too. And then you got other, you got other veteran outfielders that they brought in like um, Nick Martini and Matt Caesar and Mikey Matuk.
1: Yeah, and and I'll say this: I mean, the fact that you actually do have some competition against, uh, you know, among quasi accomplished guys that have been there before in this role have, have played fairly well in this role. I mean, that, that's encouraging, maybe. You know, it's not like, um, at least there are some options. It's not like you just yes. have a Logan Forsyth and that's it. You've got five of them. And yeah. so, you know, maybe one of these guys kind of figures it out and just carries it into the season.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to have uh, what's his name anymore um, that has to get called up. Who was the one guy that they had that was the, the only position player that was on their 40 man last year that they had to call him up every time there was an injury.
1: Oh God, I don't know. I, just, uh, I, I, I can't remember out
0: he struck out every at-bat. Oh, uh, <sighs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, the name's escaping me right at the moment. But, uh, yeah, But, but like, real quick, final thing, I think that we, you know, as far as the Phillies are concerned, uh, what's your take on Odubel?
1: So, uh, I'm going to tread lightly with this. I don't condone what Adubo Herrera did. I think it's a disgrace. Um, I think that the uh, punishment that, that he served last season was, um, was in line. Like I don't think that yeah. he should have played baseball in 2019. Frankly, I'm a little bit surprised that he's still here. Uh, I, I guess I kind of just figured they would move on. I don't think that the team is overly uh, eager to get him up. Back to the major leagues. At least I, I'm, I'd be surprised uh, if they were. You know. That being said, like I think that the the way that I assess this is that fans, if if they are angry at Oduble Herrera, they they probably should be. If they don't want to root for him, uh, they have every right not to root for him. Um, but again, this is more a product of this is the way this thing was negotiated. Like this guy has a right to to be reinstated, and he has a right to play. By the way that. Major League Baseball and the Players Association have kind of figured this out. Uh, I, I am in no position to tell you what you should and shouldn't feel about this. My sense is that um, I, I have no issue with the fact that Odubel Herrera is still on the Phillies. I, I don't really want to see him on the team, frankly. I um, I, you know, I just think that it's, like, one of those things where I think the change of scenery, like, you know, I, I just think the change of scenery is probably the, the best thing all around. But, you know, uh, for one reason or another, that, that has not happened. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't feel overly strong about it one way or the other. But I, I just don't feel as if – I I feel like the guy has a right to redeem himself if he can say and do the right things. You know, I don't, th- I don't think he – should be blackballed from, from baseball.
0: I no. Suppose. And, and, you know, Kevin Kincaid put a nice post up on crossing broad about this and, and basically said, yeah, look, what he did was flat out wrong. It was scumbag. It was terrible, but he's done everything right since then. So far, um, saying the right things. He's in counseling with the girlfriend and she dropped the charges and they're, they're moving, you know, they're trying to rebuild that relationship and have it work again. Doesn't mean you have to like the guy, but if I say this to you right now, is, is he the best option that they in the entire organization right now? Is he the best option to play center field?
1: Well, if you're the Phillies, I think that you hope that, that Haisley, uh is the guy, and I think you hope that Roman Quinn is the guy so that you don't have to, to reach that point. I actually think of the three players that, that Roman Quinn is the best of the three options, but again, you can't say Roman Quinn without talking about injuries, so you have to kind of take that into consideration. If you're asking me do I think that Oduval Herrera is a better baseball player than Adam Hazley right now, you know, yes, but at the same time, you you would be overlooking what was a horrendous start to the 2019 season for Herrera, and it just an equally is and possibly worse finish to 2018. So, you know, Adubo Herrera hasn't been a good baseball player in two years, and I was a very— uh, I was very up on Odubo Herrera. I believed in him. I thought that the Phillies did a great thing by signing him when they did. I thought it was a value contract. I thought he got a bad shake in this city. Uh, I thought that some of the criticisms of him were a little bit overblown. I don't want to say they were unfair. I mean, he had a lot of mental lapses, did some stupid things. But, you know, a guy that I thought really gave you some, some value. One of the few Phillies that provided value relative to what they were making contractually. So, that being said yeah I mean it, it, I will tell you this it's very possible that he's the best option. It's certainly if possible
0: that's the, if that's the case and if the Phillies are being honest with themselves and they and, and again it's their call, but if they're honest with themselves and they believe that, I think you got to give him a chance.
1: yeah, and how do you expect the fans to react to that? I mean, what do we realistically... And I'm not saying, like, do you think they're going to be cool with that? Like, no, they're not. We all know that. But So what does that look like? Can you give me a path to Oduble if Herrera rejoining it, it, this team and it, it kind of actually working out?
0: No, I can't because I don't think the Phillies are going to even give it a shot. So I, I, okay. I can't give you that path. But the, but the fact is is that what I'm saying is, is that if you sit there internally and you're doing a self-evaluation and you sit there and you feel that his he did, you know his talent is is good enough to be in your on your 26 man roster but you're not going to put him there because you're worried about fan backlash i i think that you're doing yourself a disservice the fans would come around if you're successful yeah i think that contact then-
1: I think Matt Clentak said it right though when when he first discussed it this you know the spring and and saying that he's got to do everything right both on the field and off the field. So basically saying, listen, everything's got to align for this to happen. I mean, I I get the Phillies'
0: reservations about not wanting to do this. I I do. Yeah. Oh, I I certainly get it. But I'm but I what I'm what I'm saying is is that if in fact you can look at your Look at yourself and say this guy's one of our twenty-six best players. Then you deserve you you owe it to yourself to at least let him give it a shot.
1: So is that an April first thing or is that a, a May thirtieth thing? Like at what point in the season do you make that assessment and say okay? Um. Well, I because mean, I, I, I do not make- see him. I do not see him coming north with the Phillies when they break no, I don't either. But what I'm saying is, I mean, is that he if would have you to hit, he would have to hit eight forty down there this spring, I think, for that to happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but that's what I'm saying. So like yeah, I mean he would have to he would have to I just I just feel like over like I, he would have to I, overperform. You're right. I get
1: it. Like I understand what you're saying, but I just there there was a year of at bats where he was clueless. I mean he was he was arguably the worst player in the national league for almost a hundred and fifty game stretch. From the end of 18 through the beginning of 19. Like, it's not like when he went out, he was a 310 hitter with a an 890 OPS. I mean, he was lost when that happened. So, like, that's why I I really think like I'm I'm not exaggerating. Like, he would have to go absolutely insane this spring, and there would probably have to be an injury or two mixed in with it for him to be up sometime in April. Like, I think this is one of these things where you would have to get into the flow of the season. Things would have to be going pretty well. He would have to be playing well, and they would have to have an injury in order to even consider it
0: here's 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 the one thing I'll say just to go to go against what the Phillies philosophy is. you You, you brought back Vince Velazquez and Nick Pavetta after we thought there's no prayer that these guys will be back. And you're saying, you know, and even Nick Williams, for that matter, that these guys are back you know more Pavetta than velazquez but they're back and but they wouldn't have been back if the old organiz- old regime was still in charge so why is there a difference here with herrera like you if you're willing to give these guys clean slates why not be willing to give him a clean slate well i as think well?
1: that there's a fine line between maturity issues and and struggles on the field versus you know you you Hit
0: a girl? I, no, I, I get, I, I get it, I get that. But, but you know, we're talking. If we're literally sitting there saying, "Okay, we're willing to give the guy a second chance," you know, somebody's going to be willing to give him a second chance. Yeah, I mean, I don't. think
1: internally they, they – I, I mean, I think it's very possible that internally they already know how this is going to play out. I mean, there may be a decision that was already made that, hey, listen, he, he can remain in the system because he has to, but we have no intention whatsoever. I, I mean, yeah. do you think it's possible that decision's already been made? Because I yes. do. like, yeah I, I, yeah, I
0: do. I agree with you 100% on that. Like
1: the, the Phillies may be looking at this and saying the upside here is that he plays well and, and we pay some salary and we move on. You know, and and that's just the way it
0: goes. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
1: Maybe, maybe that decision's already been made, but you know, maybe 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 Adam Hazley hits 220 and, and Roman Quinn's hurt, and you know he's down there and he's playing well, and and maybe they reevaluate it. I don't know. It's it's one of those really uncomfortable situations. It's hard to have a definitive take because you know we only know what we know. You don't know exactly. Like we assume that he's done and said all the right things. We assume that there's some sincere remorse, but. We don't know that. We don't know the extent of, of what happened. We don't know if it was an isolated incident. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's just so many variables, so it's hard to speak about it really with any conviction because you don't know what's in his heart. You don't know w- really – I mean, I don't want to say how bad it was because it was awful. I just You just don't know all the facts about the case. So I have a hard time you know being the morality police here and saying this is what's right. This is what's not right. I think that the guy has a right to rehabilitate his image and get another shot. If you, as a listener, think like, "Hey, there's no way in hell it should ever happen in Philly," I totally understand that. And if you think that the guy deserves a second chance, and if if he warrants that that chance with his performance, then then okay, I understand that too. You know, I, I I'm more of like I, I'm always a little bit more moderate when it's when when it comes to things like that. I say the way that you feel is justified, and, and you're entitled to that opinion. And and maybe that makes me, you know, a little wishy-washy. But I mean, that's that's typically how I look at things like that.
0: All right, Bob. We've gone over the one hour mark. All right. So we, we got we, we, We've accomplished one thing. We're approaching midnight, so it's you know we're back in back in mid season form. So why not do one last thing?
1: All right. What do you got for me this evening? This is always my favorite part because I have no idea.
0: Well, you do know because I I messaged this earlier today, so you do know about this. But um, Tim Tebow <laughs> is going to play Homer today <laughs> for the Philippines. In the World Baseball Classic qualifier, because the Philippines have to qualify. They're not one of the top teams. So uh, the World Baseball Classic will happen again next year, 2021. But in 2020, there's a qualifier amongst like some countries that you know need to work their way in. And they, well, how can Tim Tebow play for the Philippines, you may ask? And it's because his parents were missionaries to the Philippines when he was born. So therefore... He gets to be able to play for the Philippines. I, this all sounds very positive. It's wonderful. Except for this Tim Tebow, last year and triple, at Triple A, he hit 163 with a 240, 240 on base, 495 OPS. If, if Tim Tebow was not named Tim Tebow and was just Joe Schmo, would he have a job in baseball after putting up he, he that uh, his he had his
1: 19 RBI in 239
0: at he bats he struck out 98 times in 239 at bats yeah you know eh. 98 he, times here here's even with better four in home four, runs to go with. <laughs> yeah okay in four years of minor league ball and they've advanced the Mets This is how bad an organization the Mets are. The Mets have advanced him each year. But in four years of minor league baseball, okay, I'm sorry, three years, four teams, three years of minor league baseball, 223 batting average, 299 on base percentage, he's struck out 327 times in 940 at-bats. Basically, he strikes out once every three at-bats. Yeah. Why does he even have a job in the minor leagues, let alone play for a country in the World Baseball Classic? He
1: was, I will say, in his defense, 2018, Eastern League, Binghamton, pretty good. Stop. Se- 734 OPS, 273 <laughs> batting average. On base he-
0: percentage, 336. That's not bad, man. You know why he's playing for, I'll tell you, this is is it. This is the only reason he's playing for the Philippines in the World Baseball Classic. Because he wants to be on the bottom scroll of ESPN? He's an attention whore, (laughs) okay? The guy might be the nicest guy in the world, has good Christian values and everything else, and that's fine. He's an attention whore. He was never a good football player, yet he made it to the NFL and, and lasted for several years because he's an attention whore. He's got a TV job on the SEC network because he's an attention whore. He's with the New York Mets system for four years selling jerseys, minor league jerseys in um, you know, Binghamton and Syracuse and wherever the hell else he's played because he's an attention whore. I want Tim Tebow to go away just go away go do your go live your life and 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 you know and you don't want to see him on ESPN good, anymore and do good things for people yeah. whatever you want to do do not throw it in my face that's I cannot stand it he is stealing a job from another kid who might have a chance to play professional baseball it's pathetic it's and the Mets are worse for employing him as long as they you don't have,
1: have to convince me about the the Mets ineptitude yeah, <laughs> yeah that does, but that doesn't but hurt. it's path- it's
0: pathetic it's absolutely pathetic
1: well I'm just I, gonna I, let that stand I don't need to even add anything to that <laughs> I will say I you you kind of swayed me a little bit when you said he's taking a job away from another kid if, if up until that point I said eh, I let the guy live but nah, I'll, I'll give you that thanks thanks that. Bob uh, dang, th- thanks for giving me that much I'll give you that so when are we gonna do this again? Some some kid's <laughs> dream is getting dashed because Tim Tebow is hitting 163. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh when are we going to do this again i you know what i think we just have to make a, a commitment keep ourselves you know, if the phillies are going to be more accountable in 2020 we need to be more accountable in 2020 yeah no so absolutely. I, I think that we we need to just say it on air we're we're just going to come back we're going to do this weekly leading up to the uh, regular season you obviously are covering the flyers and uh i have a couple other things going on we're gearing up for the start of the baseball season ourselves at the uh, high school level which uh I, i'm back for again this year and then uh, doing some stuff behind the scenes with Crossing Broad. But uh, I think that we have arrived at the point where we can certainly figure this out, and uh, we will do that. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, definitely a lot of things to still talk about, things that we didn't get to tonight. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm going to spend the next four weeks trying to make you a believer and get you to buy into a wild card berth by uh, by the end of the month here in March.
0: Good luck. <laughs> 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 good luck with that. No, but I think it was a good. It was a good episode. I think we uh, we did touch on a lot. It was good to get back uh, talking about off, it. And just
1: just you know, kicking off some rust here. You know, just shaking yeah, off the rust. It's so all good. It's, it's it was it was while. good. It it's was, been a while. It was good
0: to do it. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. We'll get back at it next week, sometime midweek probably. Um, and uh, and we'll uh, and we'll talk more about the Phillies. So um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. You know, you know, you're going to be surprised when you see that this hits the. Uh, Hit your, uh, you know, your, your, uh, wherever you subscribe to your podcasts at. You're gonna be like, oh, what? Cross crossed up is back. Holy cow! But those guys um, died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, be sure to be sure to, you know, you know, thanks for listening, but be sure to check out the rest of the shows uh, that we have rolling through uh, Crossing Broad podcast network. Obviously, you know, Russ and I do snow the goalie for hockey season. Uh, there's the Crossing Broadcast, which we're, we're all part of in some capacity at somewhere sometime. Um, then there's the two so Well, there's one soccer podcast, I think, right now. Uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia, which Kevin Kincaid is doing. Uh, I don't think that Phil and Russ have done a, a, a crossing broad FC in quite some time, um, but I'm sure I'll light that fire under Russ's ass and get him <laughs> doing that again too. Um, so, uh, but yeah, find us everywhere where you know wherever uh, you can uh, download your podcasts, and be sure to leave us a five star review. We'll read us read out a five star review. We haven't had one in a while because we haven't recorded in a while, but uh, if you leave us a five star review, we'll read it on the show. So. Um, be sure to do that for us as well. So for Bob Wankel, I'm Anthony Sanfilippo. We will do this again next week. Thanks for tuning in to Crossed Up. We'll see you next time.